This is Author Talk, presented by Author House, the leading provider of services to help authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Author Talk is a show about new books and the authors who wrote them. It's an opportunity for prospective readers to hear directly from the writers, to hear what inspired them to write and publish, and to hear all the inside details about their books. Here is Author Talk. Greetings for Author Talk. This is Jay Douglas Barker. The book is titled Autobiography of an Unknown Football Player. And joining me from California is the author, Dr. Proverb G. Jacobs, Jr. Welcome to the program, sir. Hello. Good to visit with you. You have a very fascinating background, and your book was written as a uh, an extension of a question one of your grandchildren asked about the Jacob's name. I believe that's how it started. You went back in history and traced your family origins maybe back two, three hundred years, if I'm understanding your research. Is that also accurate? Yes. How did you, you also have, have talked about your personal journey to become an educator and receive a doctorate. You started out as an unknown football player, is how you describe it. What was the year that you played professional football? And share with my listeners a little of that story and that journey. Um, my football career took place from, 19, from 1958 to 1964. And who did you play for? I played for the... Philadelphia Eagles, New York Giants, New York Titans, that's the Jets, and Oakland Raiders. Incredible. And you are from the Oakland, uh, Cal- Oakland, California area. The 814 pages is what struck me about your autobiography. You, uh, In that research, did you set out to actually write that many pages, or was this just something that evolved from your research? That's what happened in the Baltimore research and answering a question that my uh, aunt, my granddaughter had for me, right? Right. Straight up, it's actually two two volumes, volume one and volume two. Really? It's, it's amazing that you have some incredible detail about your early years, uh, even in high school, which struck me. How did you remember those details about uh, even a track and field events and, and other things that you have noted in your biography. Could you repeat that please one more time? Yes, sir. I was just, I, my curiosity is how you were able to come up with the details regarding track and field events and other things that you were personally involved in back in, I'm guessing, the 1950s. The reason why I had, I had all this information is because I'm from Oakland, California. Right. And my education was at UC Berkeley. UC Berkeley. Yes. Yes. That's the reason why it was relatively easy for me to find out stuff, because all I had to do was go to a local library. You mentioned that at some point or in your family history, one of your early relatives was an Indian uh, of uh, of renown in the United States or someone that wasn't. Was he an Indian chief or just a Native American? Native American. Native American. What struck you the most about your history that you didn't know before you began the research? I started researching and I went back to uh, my origins, my my great-great-grandfather. You were talking about your family history and, and the research that was done there. I was wondering if anything about your research was a shock or something that amazed or even amused you about your history and family? Yes, 
my my great great grandfather was he came over here on the on the came over here on the boat. His name was Evelus or Jaco Congo and my origins were in in that in Nigeria on my father's side and the Cameroon. Yes. You mentioned the Caribbean as well in your bio autobiography. What do you think is the one underlying theme that the reader will take away from this. I know that you wrote this originally to also disclose to your family members the history of the Jacobs family or Jacobs name. What do you think an outside reader is going to take away from this story? It's a history of African-American life. You have a background as a football player. What is the, what is your opinion of uh, current sports and uh, the reaction that they're having about safety and other issues in the league. This is a background of when I, my earlier days in sports when I first, first got to uh, high, high school. We had leather helmets. Leather helmets. No padding, I'm guessing. No padding. No face guards. Oh, my. All the football players all had their teeth all knocked out. <laughs> Are are you one of those that has um, uh, teeth that are not your original government issue? Yes. <laughs> you have a striking photo on the back cover. In your teaching career, was that in university, high school? Where did you pursue that career? That was in high school. As a high school a teacher. You have a, a family that I'm sure you're proud of. You have a beautiful photo on the front of, I, I'm thinking it's three granddaughters, or is that two granddaughters and a grandson? I'm not sure. Uh, because That's right. I, my, my photo is a little bit diminished. It's a small size. What did they take away from reading your story? It gives a, it gives a, it gives a I call it a snapshot of what, the, what was going on at the time. When I went away to when I went away to college, I went to Modesto Junior College, and uh, I was only I was only called us Negroes back in those days. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was the only black person on the football team for two years at Modesto Junior College. Wow, how did that prepare you for your future career, other than the sports itself? Well, what's happening here is. Uh, it's chronological. It's I covered stuff that nobody else covered. Being the only black, when I was at the University of California, I was the only four blacks on the, on the football team. When I was at Modesto Junior College, I was the only black on the football uh, on the football team at Modesto Junior College. So I have a lot of stuff. You had a but, lot a lot to say. Yes, you no, know, it's 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 mind boggling. I can't figure out how I did all that stuff. <laughs> but it's my autobiography, so you know, I read. I, I, you talk about your Creole French ties. That part is interesting. The Indian influence and also Jewish connection. How did the Jewish connection fit into your book? We were living in when we were living in, in Louisiana. The uh, guy was the Jewish guy was the Jewish Jewish. People would sell their wares, come by in with wagons, right? Oh yes, yes, traveling sales uh, people. Right, that's right. And so, uh, there's not very much, in, not very much. Uh, I just didn't spend too much time on that, but it was a situation where the Jewish people were were uh, were weren't very kind to the rest of the people. Mm. 
Uh, it's a fascinating read, and for those who would like to get a really fine overview of one person's journey and also the some of the the journey of those who came to this country not voluntarily, uh, mm-hmm. as as your history uh, recounts. This is a book that will not only tell your story, but also go back into the deep history, three or four hundred years of slavery and other things that happened in uh, early history. I think that's a a wonderful thing that you've done. The research is extensive. How long did it take you, uh, Dr. Jacobs, to complete your book? Twenty years. Twenty years. Wow. Twenty years. It's a fascinating journey that you have shared with the public and also with your family. And uh, from a family perspective, I don't know that I could write four or five pages, although there's probably interesting things in my history, but they're not as remarkable as yours. The title of the book, again, is Autobiography of an Unknown Football Player. My guest has been Dr. Proverb G. Jacobs, Jr., who has joined me from California. Dr. Jacobs, your first name is also unique. How did that come about, the name Proverb? All my father's brothers were, all my father's brothers' name came out of the Bible. Wonderful. Wonderful. And where can my listeners get a copy of your work? It's on Amazon. Amazon.com. All right, sir. And do you still have additional stories that you may be sharing in the future? Yes. Wonderful. They can do a search under your name, Proverb, just like the Bible book, G, middle initial, Jacobs, Jr., and uh, they can locate your book on Amazon and other fine retailers by doing a search under your name or also under Autobiography of an Unknown Football Player. Thank you, sir, for joining me today and sharing your story. All right. Thank you. Best of luck in the future. For Author Talk, this is J. Douglas Barker. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Have you heard? The pages of American Patchwork and Quilting magazine come to life on our new weekly online radio show, American Patchwork and Quilting. Join Pat Sloan, our blogging and quilt designer host, as she talks about the latest trends, ideas, and inspirations. Her guests include quilt pattern designers, authors, quilt shop owners, and our editors. All quilters, just like you. Call in with your questions. Get quilting tips from industry experts. Learn about free patterns. Hear behind-the-scenes stories from our magazines, American Patchwork and Quilting, Quilt Sampler, and Quilts and More. Get the scoop on free stuff and find out more about the best independent quilt shops in North America. To listen to a live show, tune in Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Just log on to allpeoplequilt.com radio. To hear past shows, go to iTunes and search for American Patchwork and Quilting Radio. We hope you'll join us because we know that quilting changes everything. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House, helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, ROI, Results on Internet, Secrets of Successful Business Websites, and the author is Andrew Kucheravi. Andrew, welcome to Author Talk. Thank you for having me on your show. Great to have you with us. I'm going to read just a statement you've made in general about your book, then we'll get into the details. You say, my book is called ROI, which stands for Results on Internet, 
And it's the only book you need to produce, manage, and market your company's website and achieve your business goals. So it is a guidebook, as you say, and gives people some real basic fundamental principles on building a website that makes that cash register ring or sells your ideas, correct? So the book is designed for busy professionals such as marketing directors, IT directors, business owners who are in, interested in ensuring the success of their business website. In today's world of the Internet, you have to be expert in numerous disciplines in order to ensure that your website is successful, and nobody has time to read dozens of books. So uh, the idea came to me to put together all this uh, content that, that's necessary uh, to to produce, manage, and market uh, your company's website. And I distilled this content, uh, about an equivalent of dozens of books or so, into one reference book. And that book is written in a chronological order. So you can actually, it takes you from selecting the right partner, uh, throughout managing the process of your website development, and then, and then launching and marketing your website. But you can also jump to any, any part of the book, just simply... Uh, by, by looking at the section that, that matters the most uh, at, at any particular time. So you can use this book as a reference book as well. Well, before we get into more details, tell us a little bit about your background and how this book came about. I've been in the business of building websites for over 18 years. So you can say that this book has been in the making for the past 18 years. The idea came to me out of frustration um, seeing underperforming business websites on a daily basis. So at some point I said, well, there has to be a better way. And I started putting together some of the best um, ideas and methodologies that have been proven in the past that, that seem to make a difference. Um, so over the years, I put together, I put together the system. So, so the ROI is more than just a book. It's a philosophy system that we follow in, in my agency, so I, I've been writing a web design agency for the past, uh, for the past 18 years. And this is, those are the very, the very uh, fabric uh, that we're actually closely following in, in our agency throughout the production process. And I'm sharing this with, uh, with the world. Well, as you teach, your website has to have an objective. And I love what you teach, that your website must be like the best salesman that greets that new customer walking into a retail store. So your website really has got to be very compelling. That's right. Yes, this is, this is an analogy that I use in the book. Your website is like a salesman that, that never sleeps or works for you 24-7. And in order for that salesperson to perform at, its best, at their best, they have to be well-trained, they have to be well-dressed, they have to be well-spoken. So kind of the same characteristics apply to your website. And, of course, that salesman would under, want to understand why you're there. And, and th th there's a lot of psychology that goes into a website then. Uh, that's right, yes. And, and the book talks about it. The, the number one mistake uh, that many websites make is they, they, they don't, they're really not designed for any particular audience, right? They're just talking to everyone. And, and, and that's, that's a mistake because uh, in order for a website to be effective, it needs to be targeting the right audience. It needs to be solving their pains. It needs to be presenting the information to them in the most uh, 
user-friendly way. And one tool um, to accomplish that is something that, that is called personas in, in marketing. And persona is, is essentially um, uh, a profile of, on, on your customer. It's a demographic and a psychographic profile that describes the who is your customer, what are their needs, what are their irritants, why they're in your website, what are they looking for. So if you have that, if, if you have that picture of, of, of your customer uh, next to you throughout the, the entire process of you working on, on the website, you will produce a much better uh, experience for them because you're going to be inclined towards uh, producing the, the content, the creatives, and, and everything that goes into the website to specifically target target that person, and we even we even assign names to those people, so we use them throughout the process so much that we refer to to those people by names, but by their first names. This is quite a compendium. It's uh, like we've already talked. It's a reference book, a guidebook. Uh, it is much longer than you thought it would be when you first started. <laughs> That's right. Yes, I originally planned it to be about 200 pages. It uh, came out to be 450 something pages. So it, it is much longer than I originally planned. But people shouldn't be overwhelmed by that or discouraged because uh, you know they're like they're going to have to wade through all of this material to really understand. Because you you uh, you've designed the book to apply to certain uh, needs that the reader, the business person has. Well, first and foremost, it's a reference book. So it is designed for busy professionals, people who are in charge of their company's websites, uh, marketing directors, IT directors, business owners. And those people don't have the time to read dozens of books. And, and, and in reality, that's what it takes to, to become educated about you know, what it takes to, to run a successful business website these days. So what I, what I did is I took uh, an equivalent of about a dozen books or so, and I condensed them into one reference book and you can read it in a chronological order so it is written in three parts uh, how to find the right partner uh, for your website project how to manage the project the right way and the third part is your website is live now what right so so there are three parts to it and it, it basically walks you through the entire process but at the same time you can just look up and fast forward to any any part of the book uh, depending on what is it that you're looking for we don't have the time to cover every aspect of your book, but let's talk about, in the time we have, talk about finding that right partner, as you call that uh, right agency, to work with you. That's right. So in, in the beginning of the book, I make a statement that you, you, you do need a reliable partner by your side throughout this process. And I encourage companies uh, to not to, to try and do everything in-house uh, because of the different disciplines that go into creating uh, a website nowadays, it's impossible for one individual uh, to be an expert in all of those areas. So I encourage uh, companies to find a reliable partner, and I offer uh, numerous tools to make the selection process as objective as possible. So there, there are worksheets in the books that you can apply to evaluate various agencies and, and narrow down the list to, to a few agencies that you can then interview and decide whether they're the good fit for you. What are some of the common mistakes we need to avoid? Well, one of those mistakes you already mentioned is it, it's not having a goal for your website. If you don't have an objective for something, that's, that how can you succeed? 
Um, and uh, a lot of companies end up having a website just for sake of having a website. So I encourage to set a, a specific business objective. And I, the model that I recommend is a smart business objective. It stands for objectives that are specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and timely. So a good example for, for, a, for a business objective for a website would be to increase the flow of leads by 50% within six months. You know, that type of an objective is very specific and it has very real business implications. So when you have a goal like this, then you and your agency can work together towards achieving that business goal. So it must be measurable. Absolutely. What if you find that you're not getting the results after all of this planning, you're not getting the results? How do you how do you tweak? How do you fine tune? What do you do? Uh, that's actually the third part of the book talks about that. So how do you how do you optimize your website? How do you get the most out of it? And uh, there could be a number of reasons. Let's say that if your goal is to drive leads to your website, uh, it could be that you're just not getting enough traffic, right? So there are search engine optimization techniques. There are social media practices that you can follow just to drive people to the site. If you if your analytics is telling you that you you are getting traffic to the site, but you're still not converting, you're still not getting getting leads. Maybe uh, maybe you're not getting the right type of traffic. So this is this would be the time to go back to your persona profile, pull those out, and 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 compare this to the visitors that are coming to your website. Uh, maybe you're getting the right visitors, but you're not you're not talking the right language to them, right? So this is this is another exercise that that might reveal that your content uh, on the website is really not designed for your target audience. So there's a number of things and and that you can do, and the book walks you through all those steps, and it gives you tools to really narrow down to determine what the issue is, uh, so you can get the most out of your site. All of this costs money. How do you determine how much you should pay? How do you determine your budget? Well, uh, you should always look at the ROI, uh, which is the besides results on the Internet also stands for return on investment. And uh, there's actually a chapter in the book that tells you uh, about the best practices for road mapping your website and deciding what to do next and what to invest money in. So you always should have a, a very compelling business reason for for investing um in, in, in into anything and one of the uh one of the warnings that i'm giving in the book is something that we call featureitis in the industry basically uh when people get excited about their website and they want to make it better and they want to start adding features it potentially could be a never-ending process and that's going to cost you a lot of time, cost you a lot of money, but not necessarily will produce any results. So before you spend any time, before you spend any money, just think about the business impact that that this particular feature or that particular uh, um, initiative is, is going to have in your business. Do web designers offer any kind of warranty, or is that something you should demand? Well, uh, most most agencies would give you a warranty, a uh, limited warranty on your website if something breaks or something doesn't doesn't work according to the specifications. However, what I recommend is 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 going beyond that and and actually asking for specific results. And if you if you have a if you have a goal that you set for your website project and you you and your agency. Uh, are both aligned and they, you both agree that this is this is the, the goal that you will be working towards, then you can hold your your agency accountable and and, and this is something 
that ultimately your business is interested and you, you want to reach a specific business objective. So setting, you know, once again, setting a business objective in the beginning of your project is of utmost importance. ROI, Results on Internet. That's the title of this book. Andrew, tell us what's the best way to get your book. Uh, you can buy it on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, or AuthorHouse.com. We appreciate you joining us, Andrew, on Author Talk. Uh, thank you so much for your time. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Do you ever wonder if you're the only woman who runs errands in her yoga pants so it will look like she went to the gym? Or how about the only mom who feeds her kids raw cookie dough? Or are you the only one who cooks her family cold cereal for dinner? Do you need more laughter and less loudness? More self-love and less self-loathing. More joy and less judgment. You're not alone. Come to The Living Room, a place where we get comfy, candid, and confident together. Come seeking sanctuary and leave feeling renewed. We are saving a seat for you. Give yourself some living room today. Welcome back to Author Talk. Brought to you by Author House, helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, Hop On. As the journey begins, and the author is Patricia Smith Nelson, and Patricia, and along with her husband Carl, joins us now on Author Talk. Hello. Hi. Great to have you with us, Carl. And hello, Patty. Hi. Thank you for calling. This is very instructive. All you teachers who are listening or those who know teachers need to uh, take this for a great, great educational book for teachers. Uh, I want to read what Patty has said about her book. She says, Hop On As the Journey Begins is the first in a series of four books written for kindergarten, first grade, and second grade teachers to give them some fresh ideas that will make learning fun and exciting for young students. These ideas are simple, effective, and straightforward. Well, before we get in and talking about some of the details that are in your book, Patty, tell us about yourself, your background, and how this book came about. Okay. Well, <clears throat> when we, um, Carl and I married in high school, and um, or, I mean, we married when we were in college, and I was, you know, working on my teaching degree. And when we moved to Sedona, the superintendent um, said, I think I will put you in kindergarten. And I had never thought about, you know, being a kindergarten teacher. I just thought about being, you know, in primary school. And she put me in kindergarten, and I found out, after starting kindergarten that it's the most important year because you can set the stage for those darling little boys and girls to have fun learning and know how important it will be in their life. And so I loved teaching kindergarten here in Sedona for 18 years, and that's why I decided to write a book series because I know in my heart that that's where you can set the stage for the children in our in our society to know how important learning 
will be, you know, in their lives. And so that's why uh, I decided to, you know, write the series. At the beginning of your book, you talk about a mission statement. Now, I think in general we know what a mission statement is, but as far as the the focus of your book, what what is that about? I truly believe that um, learning is very important for children, to, you know, to grow and mature and learn how important it is to have knowledge for their lives so they can make a difference in our society and to be good citizens. And I wanted to make learning fun for them so they would know how important it would be in their futures. And so I loved teaching kindergarten for 18 years to set the stage for these children. And so that's why I uh, wrote the book series for teachers so that other teachers could have fun making learning fun and and knowing how important it is for their children to enjoy learning and knowing how important it will be in their lives. You have a lot of cute illustrations. Uh, That was, I guess you got some help from your sister-in-law on those. Yes, and I love the one little girl um, on one of the pages that she has said, the little girl, uh, you know, that she illustrated on the page, Oh, teacher, I hope you like us. (laughs) (laughs) So she has a lot of really cute illustrations, you know, in the book. And I think... Uh, I know as a kindergarten teacher, kindergarten teachers like cute little things, you know, because that's what these little kids are. They're cute, and you want to make it fun. Whenever I go into a classroom for that age group, it is a whole new world. It is a, kind of a magical world, and you spend some time in your book about preparing the classroom and the atmosphere and the declarations or the decorations and the bulletin board. Uh, tell us why that's so important and, and some of your ideas on that. Well, you know, I I feel like kindergarten is probably one of the most important grades because you set the stage for those little guys and gals, and you want to make it fun. And uh, instead of being, you know, hard and, you know, being, uh, you know, we had, I taught in a Christian school for a year, so I learned a lot of really good techniques to use without the Christian words, you know, to teach the children to be good citizens and know how important it was to, to be a good citizen and to learn and how important that would be in their lives. And so I made, I tried to make it as fun as I could. And if uh, I had a heart on the uh, chalkboard in our classroom, and if uh like three children were gone, we would, uh, you know, were absent for the day. I would put their names in the heart, and we would um, write their names in alphabetical order, you know, like Susie or Alice or John or whatever. And so when they came back the next day or, you know, whenever they came back, they would see that their name was in the heart and that we missed them. So I wanted every child to feel like, they were missed, and they were very important, and we were happy that they were back, and then we would sing, we're so happy, we're so happy, Susie and John are here today, or whatever. And I tried to make them feel like they were 
very important in our classroom, and they were missed when they were gone. And by alphabetizing, uh, she really, they didn't even know they were learning how to alphabetize. (laughs) So I tried to make learning fun for the kids, you know, and... um, I, you know, I tried to make it fun to, for them to know that it was important, you know, that they learn, but they, but to have it be fun, not work. And you shared these ideas with other teachers already, and you've gotten a lot of great feedback from these kinds of uh, special ways to treat children. Well, you know, uh, teaching that first year. Uh, in Sedona at a Christian school gave me a lot of ideas that I did not learn, you know, when I was in college, Uh, you know, because um, I didn't use the Christian words, but I could use the Christian ideas, you know, because that way, you know, it it would make some people upset or whatever, you know what I mean? Well, there is that political correct today. It seems to be too much of it in the schools. That's for mm-hmm. sure. That's for sure. But it, it, uh, I'm sure you have to work around it, like you were just talking about. Now, how do how do you how did you best deal with discipline problems? Uh, you talk about that much of the way you treated the students reduced the discipline problems. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we first of all, if somebody was absent, you know, we would. Uh, when they came back, they would see their name was in the heart, and then we would all sing, we're so happy, we're so happy Susie is here today, or whatever. And so I wanted to make each child feel like they were very special and they were missed, you know. And so I tried to, um, you know, so we, I just enjoyed making each child feel like they were very important in our classroom. And then when everybody was there, on a special day, we would sing, we're so happy, we're so happy, we're all here today, you know. And just, I just wanted to make it fun. And I got a lot of ideas from the Christian, uh, you know, the year that I taught in the Christian school without using Christian words because, you know, that might not be uh, good for some people, you know, wouldn't like that. But uh, I got a lot of ideas from, uh, from that Christian uh, curriculum. So I used those, and and when the kids came back and saw their name was in the heart, you know, that made them feel important, and I wanted every child in my classroom to know that they were important. Steve, another thing that I would say is that during the first two weeks of school, she taught the children what they could get away with and what they couldn't. And then she was very strict about that during those first two weeks. And so they knew what their boundaries were. And by the end of the two weeks, she could just have normal classroom days, and uh, discipline didn't seem to be a problem after that. Now, your book also has photographs, and not only of the classroom, but of the bulletin boards, just to give people Uh ideas, and then you have illustrated ideas for projects. Well, and you know, I think teaching, uh, you know, primary children that visual is very important, and they need need that, and they need, uh, you know, uh, teachers to give them inspiration and 
you know, and then if if you were absent and then we you came back the next day and we sang to you, then that made that child feel important, you know. And I wanted each child to know in my classroom that they were missed and they were important and we were happy that they were back. In your book, you singled out the month of November. Now, why November? Well, November is, you know, Thanksgiving, and then you can be thankful, you know, for, you know, being being thankful that you have, you can go to class, that you have all these friends, that you're learning, and that you're, te- and then you can teach children that they can be good citizens and they can be. Uh, good friends for each other, and they, they're, you know, very uh, lucky that they're in a place where they can learn and be who, what they're capable of becoming. She actually had a uh, turkey come to class. <laughs> <laughs> and it's in one of my books, and that was fun, and all the kids got to, uh, one of the parents had a, a pet turkey, and that was so much fun, you know, for the pet turkey to come to our mm. classroom. And um, so I tried to make it fun as well as uh, learning is, is good for them, you know, to learn, to have fun learning. So, and then if you were absent, your name was in the heart and you knew that we missed you. So everybody in our class was um, very important. And, and each week we had somebody special in our class, and that was one of the children. And then each kid would get up and say why they thought Susie was somebody special or Johnny or whoever was somebody special person. And I tried to make them feel that they were very important and, you know, and we all uh, wanted to be really good friends and have a good, you know, year together. And I wanted them to know that how important learning was for them for their future. This book is the first in a series of four books. It's titled Mm -hmm. Hop On As the Journey Begins. Tell us about the other three books. Hop On, Jump In, uh, Climb Aboard, and Soar. And at the end of the school year, I wanted them to soar, you know, into knowing how important learning was for them and how it would be for their lives. And so I tried to make learning fun, not work as much as fun, you know, and how important it would be in their lives. What's the best way to get this first book, Hop On As The Journey Begins? You can get it at Author House. Get it at Author House and, of course, uh, get it anywhere, any retailer, whether it's a walk-in store or on the online, just by putting in Hop On As The Journey Begins. People will be able to find you, right? People will be able to find your book. Mm -hmm. And it's got all these cute little illustrations, you know, that my sister-in-law did in Colorado, and I'm here in Arizona. And um, so uh, I wanted to, because I know kindergarten teachers are real visual, you know, and they like cute things. And so there's a lot of cute little kids in the pages on the book. Uh, in the book, so that um, it will inspire teachers also. And I wanted to inspire teachers to make learning fun, not work, but fun. Fun to learn, not 
to, you know, be hard and all that stuff. And we had, like I told you, we had a heart on the board, and it's Susie and, and Johnny were, or whoever were absent, we would put their names in the heart in alphabetical order, and so they were learning alphabetical order without realizing they were, you know, learning. And when they came back, their name was in the heart, and then we would sing to them, we're so happy, we're so happy, Johnny is here today or whoever, you know. And I tried to make every child feel like they were missed and they were important, and we, you know, wanted them to be there every day if they could. Well, I'm certain you did, and probably you'll, you'll never be forgotten. Can I just interject one thing? I, I'm i an architect here in Sedona, but um, I became known as the kindergarten teacher's husband <laughs> because she was such a good teacher. And, Thank you, Carl. <laughs> and all the... Uh, you know, the parents that had kindergartners wanted their child in her class. I can see and why. I was, more, I was more than happy to be known as the kindergarten teacher's husband. Well, congratulations on your book. We Thank you. We thank you for joining us on Author Talk. Well, thank you very much. And I just want you to know one thing, that my husband and I are high school sweethearts, and uh, I put him through his last year of, of college because I graduated. He was a year ahead of me, but I also uh, architecture was five years, and you know education was four for me. And so we've had a wonderful life. And he was very supportive in my classroom. And whenever you know I had a patriotic program, he always sang, "I'm proud to be an American." So we've been, you know, really good for each other through our through our uh, marriage and we've had a wonderful marriage and uh, we we've really enjoyed our um, you know our careers well great for each other and great for all the kids so thank you great to have you with us okay thank you thank you very much for calling <laughs> 